0: Good morning, everyone. We'll uh, go ahead and get started. I'll, I'll open up stuff in prayer and we'll get going in the book of Exodus. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the day you have given to us, for the opportunity uh, this Sunday to come together as followers in Christ and study uh, your word together, Lord. And so, God, we, we pray for your spirit's guidance as we study your word. We pray that you would bless our conversation, Lord. Uh, that would be a uh, enjoyable time and edifying time as well, and as always, we pray, Lord, that uh, if any correction is needed uh, on, on my part or or anyone's, that may be done just in gentleness and love. And Father, we, Lord, uh, we're thankful for your word. Help us to grasp the significance of the fact that you have given us your word to to study, that we might. Know you and know you well. Um, thank you for um, how you have chosen to reveal yourself and to help us to learn uh, the truth you have given us today through your word. in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Hey, All right. Exodus. Does anybody remember where we left off, where we're starting? Exodus chapter 1, <laughs> verse 1. Yeah. Chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> Verse 8, that's a good memory there, Jim. Yeah, we did read through verse, the first seven verses, so that's fair. Yeah, that's right. Um, But we are going to start with verse 1. We did uh, preview the book and start uh, with the first seven, at least read through the first seven verses last week. Um, Okay, so we're in the book of Exodus. In the Hebrew of the book of Exodus, the book begins with a vav, which is a conjunction usually means. And if you have new American standard Bible, it'll say now. Um, and it's, it's telling us that this is a continuation of what has preceded it. And so we know, of course, that the book of Exodus is continuing the story of Genesis. Jacob and, and Joseph have died. The people of Jacob have been brought to Egypt as God told them they would. And now they reside, uh, in their own land in egypt in the land of goshen so the questions come that that we have after the book of genesis and into the book of exodus continue what's going to happen to the people of god that uh these people who have been led by the providence of the lord and will the lord's promises made to them throughout the book of genesis indeed be kept um so we have those questions as we go into the book of exodus <clears throat> so let's begin and uh, we'll just read the first five verses here. Verse one, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali; Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. And I've noticed when you, uh, If you watch those movies, the Ten Commandments, The Prince of Egypt, about the Book of Exodus, um, they don't usually begin like this. They usually begin with uh, the basket scene in the river with Moses. That's usually the. (laughs) Is is there another way to put it, Al? With the with the scene of uh, the the tiny ark in the river. but it's, this is how the book of exodus begins with this list of names um and
1: these are the names
0: here in exodus is reminiscent of these are the generations in the book of genesis right the toledote the, that that thing that we consistently saw in the book of genesis these are the generations of abraham uh, of isaac etc um so it this this list it not only tells us a lineage but it reminds us of a complex story about a family survival against all odds because of God's faithfulness. Um, and we're given a similar list back in chapter 46 um, when the people of Jacob are traveling from Canaan to Egypt. Um, that list was much more detailed. Uh, this list, but it all it all ends in the same number of 70, about 70, 70 people. Um, are in the land of Egypt. The 70 people make up the family of Jacob. And so what this is doing is reminding us of the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how they got to Egypt and how small they were in the beginning. Just 70 people wouldn't, wouldn't have taken up much space in the land of Egypt. So that's how, that's how this, uh, this book begins. Now, when you when you read those names when you begin the book of Exodus what does what does it make you think of when you first read these names? Say that again. The tribes of Israel. Okay. Yes. Those they would be the leaders of the households at this point. Um, they're not. They're not. Well, I guess they're they're not the tribes of Israel yet. Um, yes.
1: And we know that God is uh, preserving uh, a line to David and the new uh, to Jesus, and we can look at these and think, well, I wonder which was probably going to be Joseph, you know. So it must be.
0: <laughs> so you're thinking through which which line is going to go through um, to get to you think. <laughs> Which one's the promised seed? Who's it going to go through? You're saying, of course, we would have thought Joseph. Yeah. Um, but it's Judah. But it's Judah. Yeah. So, yeah, it reminds you of that, the promise of the seed and who has it has gone, who it's going to go through, who you would have expected to go through and who it doesn't need go through. Um, it's not Joseph. It's not Reuben. Um, but it's uh, going to be Judah. It's
1: the redemption story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This thing is something, too, that God will notice these like things, and he's but a worm in God's eyes. He ain't nothing but a God said he wanted all the stars out here. We're still trying to preserve every day.
0: And God named all the individually. and he took notice of these twelve old guys. Yeah, yeah. that God is that loving and that concerned. We
1: take notice to night. I mean, this is sometimes it some kind of reading some blue and some blasé, blasphemous. This, this is God
0: talking. Yeah, and, and they, and there, there's a significance to the Israelites to being able to, especially in the Old Testament, being able to track back, um, you know, exactly where they have come from and where the seed has come from as well. And then there's the promise of God to the people, or to Abraham, that he would be like the, the sand on the beach, the stars in the sky, that they will be that numerous. And of course, they're not that numerous yet. Um, but they will be much more numerous in just one more verse. All right, let's, let's get to it. Verse 6. <laughs> verse 6. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Um, okay, so they were 70, and they have grown and multiplied. Uh, how much time has passed? So I don't intend this to be a trick question. There's obviously not a, a specific amount. Okay. So these are, these are guesses, right? Yeah, that's right. The the author is not uh particularly interested in telling us exactly how much time has passed, but if, okay, more than 200 years, it has to be a significant enough amount of time that these 70 people can become, um, exceedingly strong and multiplying greatly and filling the land of Egypt. Now, does it mean the land of Egypt? Does it mean the land of Goshen? I'm not sure exactly here, but the language being used is that the people of Israel have grown so much that they are um, uh, we'll see a a threat to the people or the leadership of Egypt at least. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's amazing that you know, we hear these numbers in the Bible, 200, 400 years, and, and so on. and But those are enormous lengths of time. Uh, I mean, so go back 300 years, 400 years from today, you know, and where are we? And it's amazing that they kept their identity being in that land for so long. They, okay. they just didn't consider
0: them. Okay, there we go. So Ken Ken's getting a little bit ahead of me there, but that's perfect. Um he's that's exactly um a point I was gonna bring up, it's a good point. That the Israelites four hundred years they're still a distinguished group of people, at least distinguished enough where Israel where the Pharaoh is going to address his people and say, These people over here are too much. <laughs> and so it's it is incredible. It is incredible because now why is it incredible that Israel has been able to stay its own separate nation? Why is that? Why? What would you expect to happen if a if a nation was living a small seventy group of people was living in a larger nation like Egypt? In a marry? Yeah, yeah, they become a part of their own group. They would take on the the gods of the people of Egypt, their culture. The, uh, normally what would happen is there'd be an assimilation of the smaller tribe into the larger tribe. I mean, that's generally what would happen. I mean, I know in the, later on with the Assyrians and the, well, with the Babylonians and the Persians, they allow um, nations to stay nations and just pay tribute. But at this time, it's it's very surprising that the Israelites wouldn't have just been assimilated into the nation of Egypt, and it's, so it's, it's and it's also very important that they are able to keep their separate identity, so that the promises of God could continue to be fulfilled. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right, man. I uh, I need to keep going because you guys are hitting all the points I was going to hit on later, and now I'm not going to have anything to teach. <laughs> but that's very that's exactly right, Angie. That's exactly right. Part, a big part of this um, that God seems to be using is that the um, when Joseph came to the Pharaoh and told them they were all shepherds, I mean, one of the reasons he was able to give them their own land in Goshen is because Pharaoh knew that the people of Egypt uh, despised, at least I can't tell if it was because they're shepherds or because they're nomads, but the, there's this... Uh, <sighs> They they want to distinguish themselves from the Hebrew people. Also, God got
1: to be isolated and alone. God very powerful in the cities and the dwellings and all the The got out here with a still small voice instead of all the noise the temples.
0: Well, if they, if they do hear God, it's not recorded here. I mean, we we don't. That's that's another interesting thing. That four hundred years go by. We don't hear anything. It's kind of like that time in between the New Testament or the Old Testament and the New Testament. We don't hear anything going on. But it does seem like the people still somehow remember what was taught to their fathers. It seems like it has been passed out. And again, hitting on points. I was going to hit on later. So let's, let's keep going. Um, this is good, though. Um, all right. Uh, okay. In verse 7. The people of Israel were fruitful, increased greatly, multiplied, grew uh, exceedingly strong. Um, What does this language remind you of? God said. said. Now, there's more verses than one. Let's start with that, Jim. You're going to have to keep going. Yeah, go forth and uh, multiply. Yeah, that's right. Genesis. Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue, subdue it. I think the Net Bible has a helpful note. The text is clearly going out of its way to say that the people of Israel flourished in Egypt. The verbs para, be fruitful, sharatz, uh, to swarm or team, ravah, to multiply, and asam, to be strong and mighty, form a literary link to the creation account in Genesis. The text describes Israel's prosperity in the terms of God's original command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, to show that their prosperity was by divine blessing and in compliance with the will of God. The commission for the creation to fill the earth and subdue it would now begin to materialize through the seed of Abraham. Um, So this is a new story, a new people, far removed from the generations of Jacob and Joseph, like Ken was saying. Hundreds of years. Um, Well, it doesn't tell us exactly, but we know there's a long time. It's, It's far removed from Jacob and Joseph. Yet the lineage of Abraham continues, and the story already hints at the hand of God working within his people in a foreign land. All right, let's keep going. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. Um, Okay, so there's uh, a new king, a new pharaoh. Um, Now, of course, there would have been many... New pharaohs since the time of Joseph. Right, this isn't the pharaoh right after Joseph's pharaoh. This is a a long time. So, in what sense is this pharaoh new?
1: I have a footnote in my Bible that says that the, the king, the pharaoh that the, the exalted Joseph, mm-hmm. was a was a semi himself.
0: Okay, yeah, the Hyksos. Yeah, the king. That, yeah. that
1: explains why he put
0: Joseph
1: on a hot position, and that explains why the Israelites were in you know,
0: the Jacob were blessed Mm-hmm. given um, Goshen. Because he was the like same race. Yeah. So there's um, I'm not I have read up on that. That's I that I think that's a theory. Now, it's not certainty that that the Egyptian pharaoh at Joseph's time was the Hyksos, but it, it is a theory that that's one of the reasons why um, he was able to relate to them. But it's a there's a there's a whole um, group of people, and there's a whole uh, lineage behind uh, the Egyptians and the Hyksos people, and why you know there's a whole theory as as to why the, the pharaoh might have. Accepted Joseph, and that's one of the that's one of the possible ones. It certainly could be the case. Yeah, um, yes. The uh, was
1: mentioned is an Egyptian.
0: To distinguish from the the, the Pharaoh before, yeah. you're saying, um, yes, I, I I see what you're saying, and I don't I can't comment too much more on the difference between the two. Well, I—I I mean, I don't think that's what the text is saying, uh, telling us. I think the text is, is, yeah, time is is the biggest reason why I think. um But why why is he considered? What's how is he new? He's a new king. So because there's a lot of new kings, and so Andrew was saying because they're possibly a different race, he's a new king. But why is he a new king over Egypt? It, according to our text here, why is he new? Okay, good. He knew he knew not Joseph. He didn't know Joseph. Um, now, if he if he didn't know Joseph, who else would he have not known about? Yeah, he wouldn't have known about Joseph's God, right? And that was a, a big part um, of of uh, everything that happened at the end of Genesis. There, he knew about the Lord, and so that's it's uh, the beginning of a theme in Genesis.
1: Was not aware of how Jesus had been blessed by Joseph and his
0: God. Yeah. Um, So it's, he doesn't remember the, he doesn't remember Joseph. He would not remember the Lord. So Jonah's saying all he can see is a possible threat um, instead of a potential blessing. Sure. Um, So it's, but it is a beginning of a new theme in Exodus. The Pharaoh did not know about the Lord or about Joseph. And a later Pharaoh will also claim that he does not know about the Lord. So he didn't fear him or his people. But the Lord will make sure by the end of it all that the Pharaoh knows about him. Okay. So this the new Pharaoh speaks to his people. Um, who are his people? This is an easy question. I'm, I know. Yes, the Egyptians. Yeah. Uh, that was a, that was a... I um, I appreciate you answering that. Yeah, the Egyptians. So who, okay, so who are the, uh, who are his people? The Egyptians. Who are not his people? Israel. Israelites. Yeah. And so as Ken said before, there, um, they, it, it's clear here that people have been able to keep themselves separate and distinguished for the past however many centuries that they have been in Egypt. And that's um, made clear for us here. Um, well, yeah. And potentially, a, it almost looks like too large for the most powerful nation in the world to uh, handle right now. I got to, let me skip some notes here because we've already talked about it. Um, what, so Pharaoh's afraid because they've come too many, they come too great. Um, what is Pharaoh afraid of? Losing his authority? Well, okay, they're afraid that they'll go to war and join their enemies. What, I mean, what? what value are the Israelites to Pharaoh? Okay, they're, they're a source, they're a source of, of labor. He doesn't want to lose this valuable resource that he has in the Israelites. Um, so that's, that's what he is afraid of. He's afraid they're going to revolt. He's afraid they're going to leave um, and go back to Canaan. Um, so he wants to deal shrewdly or wisely with them. Um, and we'll get to decide how wise uh, it is what he's doing. So my version says he set up taskmasters for them to afflict them. Uh, the Net Bible gives us this note. Uh, the word for taskmasters is literally a uh, princes of work. Um, the word sare has been translated using words such as ruler, prince, leader, official, chief, commander, and captain in different contexts. It appears again in 214 and later on. Um, and the Hebrew mos refers to a labor gang organized to provide unpaid labor. Um, so the entire phrase in the Net Bible has been translated as foreman, but you'll see it as taskmasters, slave masters, slave drivers. And then the word this is interesting. the word to oppress here has a wide range of meanings. Here it would include physical abuse, forced subjugation, humiliation. Um, so the Pharaoh makes them into slaves. What were they before? They were the Pharaoh made them into this kind of slave at least. What were they before? Well, they were, they were well what was their what was their work? Yeah, they were shepherds. They were um, tending to their own flocks and they were tending to the flocks of Pharaoh as well. Um, and so they were shepherds before. Um, what kind of now they're assigned taskmasters that are very harsh with them that force them to force labor. What kind of labor? What are they doing now? They're building cities building cities. Oof. Building cities back then—that sounds—that sounds really difficult. Uh, um, storage cities, treasure cities. Um, you have these two cities. Uh, uh, where is it? Where am I in my notes here? Um, Pithom and Ram- Ram- Ramses, and so they would have been uh, treasure cities. Um, yeah. And so we have two specific cities being named here that the Israelites have built. So that he, he uh, puts forth this declaration that they're going to be made into slaves, and they are, and they build two cities. So more time uh, has passed. Um, now, what is Pharaoh hoping to accomplish with this tactic of making them slaves? Why is he doing it? Waning their
1: strength. Say that again? Waning their
0: strength. W- waning their strength? What do you mean by that?
1: I mean by that is you can see God working. He know, God knows He's going to deliver this nation from Israel if they're strong and they leave. They're going to take credit for
0: it. Okay, you're you're looking at uh, at providentially how, how why is God making Israel weak? That's what you're saying. So,
1: they, so that he can, they know that He's the one that delivers.
0: No, but what is Pharaoh hoping to accomplish with this? Keep them down, keep them weak. If they want, if they are becoming so great with numbers, then they—if I keep them slaves, and they can't, won't have the strength to revolt. Um. Okay. Yeah. So that's the purpose in making them slaves, anyone slaves. Um. They're not able to revolt, and he makes them build cities for him. Okay. So Pharaoh's plan work. Let's uh. Let's see. Verse twelve. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Okay, so here we again see a theme that was prevalent also in the book of Genesis. Uh, God is in control of what? Everything. That's that is a correct answer. What <laughs> um, right here specifically? What what is God in control of?
1: In my heart to serve
0: my okay, well, well, yeah, but what – so we're not at Moses yet. All right, so what, what has been a theme in Genesis that is a theme right here in this verse that um, that's, is telling us God is in control of something specific? Well, look, the more, like, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Yeah, their fertility. That's, that's been a theme. In Genesis, it's a theme now. God is in control of fertility. So, I mean, it's, it's not Pharaoh, who certainly would be considered a God himself, is trying to oppress and suppress the fertility of the Israelite people. And, God is saying, No, even in spite of all of that, I'm going to continue to mi- multiply them and continue to make them increase and fulfill the promise that I made to them, even in the midst of all this oppression. You all have your hand up. I can tell you're going to, you want to say something. Go ahead, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's not that's not why they are becoming great. Right. That's it's the point is because um even in the midst of oppression they're still continuing to multiply. Uh down
1: the line is going to be an in
0: innumerable
1: book, before, so he's like he's promised Abraham. hmm Your C is gonna become you won't be able to number
0: as a star there, you will not be able to know you. And so we see a ruler that's right. We see a ruler trying to constrict that, and you know, so that the promise—well, it's not—he doesn't know about the promise as, as we know, but he's trying to constrict that. And even it, at with the opposition of the, the most powerful man in the world, God is able to make this happen and fulfill His promise.
1: That
0: didn't work All right, Jim. We'll we'll move on. We'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, verse thirteen. <laughs> so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field, and all the work they ruth- ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Uh, Robert Alter translates hard work as crushing work, noting that the descriptor derives from a root that means to to break into pieces. Or to pulverize. So Moses is clearly using language here that makes it very clear. The lives of the Israelites have become utterly unbearable. The Ruger. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, they did hard work in the field. They made mortar and brick and built cities. I wish I would have looked into a little bit more. Would have been gone into making mortar and brick Um, to build cities, but it's rigorous work. Um, Their lives are filled with bitter, hard work. And we're reminded of God's uh, promise in Genesis 15. God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But we also know it didn't end there. The next verse in Genesis 15. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, And after that word, they will come out with many possessions. So, of course, the question that we have is how could they possibly be freed from this extraordinarily harsh oppression? oppression? Um, But slavery doesn't stop the multiplication of the Israelites. So the Pharaoh must resort to something else. Let's keep going. Verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, and the other Puah. Uh, when, you're, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. Um, Hebrew is a term we haven't seen in a little while when you talk to the Hebrew midwives. We saw Potiphar's wife use the term to refer to Joseph in a derogatory way when she was trying to convince all the slaves to go against Joseph. she was saying this Hebrew man, my husband brought in. Um, and then when Joseph ate at the, his palace, um, the Egyptians wouldn't eat with him because eating with a Hebrew, um, was l- looked down upon. Uh, so the Egyptians use the Hebrew, uh, the word Hebrew to distinguish, uh, the Israelite people. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, so, Pharaoh's plot here is a logical one, one we see repeated during Jesus' birth by Herod to control the
1: heap. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. That's what you and I were talking last night. I said, why did they name these two midwives? Yeah. I don't know where they gave them their, their given name, this person to help these. Yeah. That's it. You know. what, that's, only two for all of
0: the <laughs> There are only two. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't thinking about it so much as that term, but in terms of it, it
1: does a couple of things. Number one, it honors them. Mm -hmm. And it reminds us that all these things that might be seen in broad strokes of history come down to individual people who are Mm -hmm. going to make decisions for God or
0: against them. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Let's talk about that. So the, he, the the names are Shipra and Pua. they mean something like beauty and fragrant blossom, but they are significant enough um, it, it should stick out to us that they are Hebrew midwives, and they have they are named in this story. It's a significant thing, as I was uh, talking about. Um, first of all, what, what are what are midwives? They deliver children? Okay, good. So that's a simple answer. They deliver children cut the umbilical cord, um, wash the baby, wrap it in cloth, etc. So they, they have an intimate, uh, care of the child who has been birthed. So we, we have to ask the question, Pharaoh has this plot to wipe out the Israelites by killing each son. Um, so you ask the question, why does he go to the midwives to do this? Well, to kill all the boys, but why midwives specifically? Okay. Why? Yeah, but why? Why not? Uh, why not just assign shol- soldiers to do that?
1: The midwives had the, the, the ability. The yeah. opportunity.
0: opportunity. Good. The ability because they would have been there. Say that again. Okay. Yeah. There's a subtlety to this plan, right? The midwives, because they had intimate. Um, Interaction with the mother and the baby as soon as the baby was born. Like right, you wouldn't be able to tell at this time if it was a boy or a girl until the baby was born. Okay, so as soon as the baby was born, the midwives would might, you know, be able take the take the child, might have time alone with the child, and would be able to kill the child without the mother knowing. All right, so there's a there's a subtlety to to this plan, this tactic. They could kill the child, they could blame it on something else. Infant mortality rates were probably very high at this time, and so it's it's a, it's a cunning plan by Pharaoh. He's going to the Hebrew midwives. But, so why did Pharaoh think that the Hebrew midwives would follow this plan to kill their own people's sons? You sure well, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't remember Joseph or the Lord, and so he didn't realize that they would fear God in, instead of him. Right, he's Pharaoh. He's God. He's Pharaoh. What What do you mean by he's Pharaoh, Andrew? You don't disobey Pharaoh. <laughs> the uh, it might not even occur to him that someone would say no to him. Right? If you study these these uh, ancient kings and rulers, they are crazy. <laughs> they are, I mean the the they're, the arrogance of these men. They're just they're crazy. So it might not even occurred that they would that these women would dare disobey or say no uh to him so he he asked the hebrew women assuming that they're going to say yes um i think and uh and where was i say that again you think they well yeah yeah you can't you you wouldn't be able to just say no right away (laughs) no i'm not going to do that okay and to to Jim's point as well, um, there, there couldn't have been just two midwives, or if, if the people have grown as much as the text is telling us they grew, uh, there couldn't have been just two midwives. So the assumption is that these two midwives are the leaders of a battalion of midwives out there and in Egypt. Obey. <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps they obey. All right. Verse 17. But the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live uh, what, what does this tell us about the uh, the midwives or what does this tell us about uh, what the people uh, I, I I'm having a hard time asking this question without giving away the answer, but so it's it's interesting to me because they don't have scripture, right The midwives don't. Right. So what does that tell us about what they learned? They knew, who God was. They knew something about him, right? Yeah. They, they knew something. Yeah. They, I mean, it's been hundreds of years, and we haven't heard anything in the text, at least, about, about God or him speaking to people. And so they, the stories that have come from Jacob and Joseph have apparently been passed down to some extent. They did, they did yeah, the oral tradition. Yes. So they it would have been passed down, but they don't have the, the written, they don't have this scripture right here. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so it's, it's uh, fascinating to me, but they know God. They at least know him enough to know that it was better to obey him than it was to obey Pharaoh. Um, and so they know right from wrong because they know to extent, to some extent, the Lord, that they should not kill the male children. Um, And so they show exceptional bravery and faith in disobeying the commands of Pharaoh, who could have easily had them killed. Um, So sometime I imagine possibly a few years pass by and Pharaoh realizes that the midwives have not done their job. Verse 18. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh. Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Uh, what's what's the excuse that they give to Pharaoh? Already there. They're what? They're already there. the The baby's already there before the midwives can get there. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. the The Hebrew women don't need midwives. Right, that's the excuse. Um, they're described as mine here says vigorous. Others say. Uh, Party, or the the term is lively. It's used to describe a, a healthy animal, um, and so may, maybe maybe Pharaoh would have liked this description to it an extent. So like they're like healthy animals. They they just give birth. They don't need midwives. Um,
1: your woman in, in this country, uh, they were in the west and things like that. When we give birth, and that, that she get up and cook dinner. <laughs>
0: I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> well, they—that's the excuse at least that they give to Pharaoh. That uh, the the opportunity to sub- suddenly kill the child, like Pharaoh wanted, had, by the time they get there, that has passed. They can't do it. And so, this is actually a pretty, a pretty good excuse that the women have given to Pharaoh.
1: Me what was it that the truth? The me that Pharaoh was trying to do through the midwives was returned
0: to him. <laughs> That's good. The subtlety that the that the pharaoh was trying to do to the midwives was returned to him. That's good. That's right. Yeah.
1: Either they lie because they valued life over truth, or it could be they were playing semantics.
0: Okay. Yeah. In translation yeah yeah I mean we don't you know we don't really know but it could be either one either way we see the results verse 20 and 21 God mm-hmm. dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong and because the midwives feared God he gave them families okay so it's midwives um, probably were midwives because they were barren because they couldn't have children for whatever reason um, and so we see here another example of that theme of God is in control of fertility. And so not Pharaoh. So we see Pharaoh, this reigning supreme authority in the land, um, is not able to do what he wants to do. God is the one who uh, who controls fertility. And God gives not only uh, more children to all the Israelites, but even to the women Uh, who were barren, who could not have children. And so that theme continues here. Verse 22. We'll end here. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Okay, so Pharaoh becomes desperate. It starts, I don't want to say small, but it starts just as slave, uh, you know, um, uh, conscripting them as slaves. And then, you know, then he tries to subtly kill the sons of the Hebrew women. And now this is a very public thing. All right. Everybody knows that this is what the Pharaoh wants to kill the sons. And so he's, he's no longer relying on them. his wives, probably relying uh, a lot on the taskmasters or even the neighbors of the Israelites, the people that they're living nearby and with to, um, to kind of tell the taskmasters, hey, that woman's pregnant. She's going to have a child soon, something like that. Um maybe the idea. Maier notes uh the weight of opposition this is in your hand now, the weight of opposition ranged against the people of God was enormous. The Pharaoh wanted to bring about a genocide, and therefore he did the logical thing by trying to kill all the male babies. When this failed, he mobilized the whole force of the land of Egypt against the Hebrews. Pharaoh at the top, his people living cheek by jowl with the people of God, who were spread throughout the land. And finally, the river God itself, talk about the Nile, all the power of Egypt, all the power of the enemy, royal, popular, supernatural days of darkness. Indeed. Okay, and so the book of Exodus, the first chapter starts out a lot, a lot of opposition and almost seemingly a hopeless situation. Um, So the, the conflict of the book of Exodus has been established in our first chapter. The promised seed of Abraham is in extraordinary danger. Pharaoh is using every resource at his disposal to ensure that the Israelites will never leave the land of Egypt. They are being crushed and killed and worked to the bone. And all of this comes because the king of Egypt forgot about Joseph. But as we have already seen in this first chapter, the power of an entire nation cannot thwart the plans and purposes of God. And while the forgetting of the Lord has led to this violence and slavery, it is the remembering of the Lord that has already led to a measure of salvation for the people of Israel. And it has come from the unlikeliest of sources uh, to Hebrew midwives. God uses the faithfulness of two seemingly insignificant women, women who feared him, to save an entire people and to bring about his promises. And so I hope the faith of Shifra and Pua can be an encouragement to us also. That although we may at times, feel small and insignificant, like nothing we could do could ever matter. Our God uses the faithful obedience of his people. He may not always reward us like like he does there with the two women, but our faithfulness is never unnoticed by our Lord. Let me close this out in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Exodus, Lord. And as we continue to study, we pray that you will reveal yourself to us that we might know you better, we might know how you have worked in history and might understand, Lord, how you are working now, not only on a global scale, but individually uh, in our lives, Lord. And help us to remember, God, that every act of faithfulness uh, is significant, Lord, that it's important to obey your word, that it's important to uh, recognize you as our authority. To fear you as these women did. So God, we ask for your help in doing that. Through the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.